It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now, we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. The San Jose Sharks Audio Network presents NHL Entry Draft Coverage, a look at the future of Sharks hockey. Hello, Sharks fans. I'm Dan Rusinowski. It's my great pleasure to welcome three members of the Sharks Hockey Operations Department uh, to the show today. Uh, First, Scott Fitzgerald, the Director of Player Personnel. Todd Marchant, the Director of Player Development and Senior Advisor to Mike Greer. And our Director of Amateur Scouting, Chris Morehouse. Um, we'll start with uh, with each of these guys to just kind of give a basic uh, idea of how they got to the San Jose Sharks and uh, what their background is in the game of hockey. I thought I'd start with Scott Fitzgerald. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, hello, everybody. So just a quick little synopsis. Uh, I'm a lifer. I've been, it's my 25th year in hockey ops. I started uh, way back in 1998 with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, before they became the Blue Jackets, it was the uh, preseason, the pre-year with uh, doing a lot of American League and NHL scouting for the uh, uh, the draft, for the expansion draft. And then I went into more of an amateur role there. It was there probably eight or nine years. And then I uh, went over to the Boston Bruins, which I've been with the Bruins 16, 17 years. And up until last summer when uh, Mike Greer asked for permission to bring me along with him to uh, San Jose as a uh, director play personnel um you know i've held many different roles uh, on the amateur pro in uh college scouting side so uh, i'm excited to be here it's a new venture for me and my family and uh the west coast i'm not, not i'm an east coast guy i'm from boston so the west coast has been pretty cool going out there and visiting and then going to sharks game so i'm excited to uh to get the sharks or help get the sharks back to where uh, the glory days are for Absolutely true. And uh, we'd also like to introduce our group to Chris Morehouse, the director of amateur scouting. Chris, you're going to be very busy covering the Memorial Cup finals, uh, which are in Kamloops, British Columbia, but also heading into the draft. You've got a lot of work to do. Uh, Give us a a synopsis of of how you got here. Yeah, thanks again, Dan, for uh, having myself and just echo what Scott said. Hi to everybody and really appreciate this opportunity to get on and talk with you guys. my story is not as long. I've been doing this now. This is my 11th or 12th year. Uh, I started out like uh, Scott did in Columbus. I uh, got my feet wet there, kind of worked through, again, part-time, um, full-time assistant director, and then moved on to New York uh, for three for two years to be the director of North American Scouting there. And again, I had a chance to work with Mike a little bit in New York um, and then got the opportunity to um, put my name in my ha- the hat for this job and and just really happy and excited to be here. And I think we we have a really good group of people here that really care and really want to get this um, the San Jose Sharks back to where they have been for many years. 
I went to St. Lawrence University, so the arch rival is Clarkson, and it's my great pleasure to uh, welcome to the Sharks organization Todd Marchant, who played at Clarkson. Of course, I went there as a graduate student. We've known each other a long time. Uh, Todd played almost 1,200 games in the National Hockey League, and uh, I know, Todd, that uh, coming to the organization as a director of player development and a senior advisor to Mike Greer, um, we can't help but reflect on one of your old teammates from the Edmonton Oilers, uh, Brian Marchment, who had a similar position uh, that, that you're involved with in player development as you come to the organization yeah thanks for having me and um it's a it's a pleasure to be here and uh my background I grew up in buffalo new york like you said i played at clarkson uh the arch rival of uh, st lawrence um went on to play in the olympics in 94 uh played 17 years in the national hockey league uh with the rangers the oilers the blue jackets and and, and ended up with the anaheim ducks uh i was fortunate to uh pinnacle of my career was to win a Stanley Cup in 2007. Uh, I retired in 2011. Uh, and from that point on, I was the director of player development for the Anaheim Ducks for a better part of 10 years, nine years, 10 years. And then I was director of player personnel for a couple. So uh, I'm very familiar with this position. Um, obviously, you, you mentioned that that Mike and I were teammates in, in Edmonton. What people probably don't know is that we were not only teammates, uh, we were line mates. And we were roommates on the road. So I know Mike. I've known Mike for a long time. And uh, when he uh, when he got the job, um, I was more than happy to come over and, and join his staff. Well, it's great to have all of you here today. And I, I thought that to, since all of you are new to the organization this year, um, I thought that I'd start with Scott and just to, just say that when you arrive on the scene in an organization on hockey operations, um, especially where the Sharks are in their building process, you have to assess what you have. And as the director of player personnel, I, I just thought that, uh, you know, upon after getting a year uh, to take a look at what you have, how you feel about what you have in, in moving forward and what you've done over the course of the year. Well, I think you have to, <clears throat> excuse me, I think you have to integrate uh, socially with, with, with the other hockey ops guys first, get a feel for, for each other. Obviously, the, the hockey is, is front and center. Um, as the year has gone on, it's, it's a hard working group with the Cooter uh, and the big club. So, I mean, we have some veterans. We have a, a good mix of some veterans, some new guys. Mike brought in a lot of new guys, uh, Nico Sturm and some Matt Benning and some of the guys come over. So, you know, it's the first year is always just baby steps, integrate, uh, don't rush to judgment and just kind of let water seek its level on what you have and, and more importantly, what needs to be done uh, to get uh, to get back on track winning wise. So it, it's we're still in that process of. Uh, of uh, failing out what's going to what's going on and what direction we need to go on. In terms of player development, Todd, uh, one thing you've had the advantage of is, is having a lot of experience with that with Anaheim, but you've also got Lucas Spiza and you have uh, Tommy Wingles on the staff that also assist in that area. What, what's the most important part of your job, in your opinion? Uh, communication with the players. You know, a lot of what Fitzy said for us, it was coming into a new organization, having to learn all the new players and prospects and, get to know their backgrounds and, and spend a lot of time with them. And, and I was fortunate when Mike hired me that I said that I needed a staff because development is such a huge part. It starts with drafting uh, good players and then developing them. And it's, it goes hand in hand and, and you need a staff to do that. It's, it's no longer, is it just a one person job? And uh, we have, like you said, Lucas Pisa who works with the defenseman in North America. We've got Tommy Wingles, who's a former shark who works with the forwards. We also have Mike Ricci, who's in San Jose that works with both the big club and the CUDA. 
And we also have Nicholas Sundstrom, who is an amateur scout slash player development uh, guy that, that works with our, sees our guys over in Europe. So to have a staff like that, it's a dream come true for me. And, and for me, it's all about learning um, what makes each player tick and try and push those buttons to get the most out of those players. One of the things you have to always balance is the uh, the kind of tilting relationship between development and winning. Obviously, winning at the American Hockey League level and at the ECHL level with those teams that you have helps guys develop. But you also have to focus on teaching these guys to be pros. How, how do you feel about about that balance and, and how well you have to kind of push the envelope? Well, the players dictate that, you know, the players, if they go out and they're having success, well, guess what, then they're going to be put in more situations. You don't give them something that they, they don't earn. And as a result, um, you know, we saw some players this year that, that, that earned an opportunity to get up and play some games in the national hockey league and get their feet wet again. Um, and some guys didn't, and it's a big jump for kids to, to go from the NCAA or from Europe or from junior to the American league, much less the national hockey league. So, Winning is important. Uh, it goes hand in hand with development and it's a fine line between the two, but they do definitely go hand in hand. Chris, you've got a really important job over the course of the next few weeks to kind of crystallize your entire season of travel. Uh, first of all, how, how much do you travel during the season and, uh, and how many frequent flyer miles do you get? Uh, I'm usually on an airplane four times a week. Um, Typically it, it's, I, I live in St. Louis, so it's not the easiest for, for amateur scouting, but I'm a firm believer in getting out and seeing the kids live and making sure that, you know, we have a lot of really good area scouts that are in assigned areas across the world. And, you know, it's, it's my responsibility along with Fitzy and um, to make sure we see those players and see them in their own environment, environment, which means you gotta, you gotta go. And, you know, video has been a great tool, but I'm still a little, old school in the terms that I like to get in the ranks. I like to see the guys as much as I can. So, um, you know, I have great status with Delta, you know, so that's one of the perks, uh, Marriott's, you know, if anybody needs anybody on the call, need a Marriott night or anything like that, just, uh, let us know because it, it, you know, I think at the end of it, you're, you're probably on average 200 and 240 nights a year away from your family. I got two small kids and a wife, so it, it's, it's challenging, but, I think when you get around good people who all share the same goals that all want the same thing, it makes it easier in the middle of the winter where, you know, you don't really want to make that trip to someplace cold or you don't want to go to Europe. But when you have a group that really cares like we do and everybody depends on each other to do their job, it it, it makes it makes it a lot easier. And I think, you know, Mike, along with the guys in San Jose and the guys on the road have created an environment that not only allow us to work with the freedom to make sure we, we get it right, but also support us and understand that it is, it is hard. Everybody does have families and everybody does kind of understand that the grind that it takes to, to get it right. And to have that support, especially we have every scout all over the place is, is doing the exact same thing. And it's just, it's nice to feel that support. People don't realize, Chris, exactly how much it goes into the preparation for a draft. And you were just touching on some of it. The eye test is as important as the uh, the stats and the analytics. But uh, you're finding out as much about what kind of people these kids are. And you're trying to project what, what an 18-year-old is going to be like when he's a mature National Hockey Leaguer, hopefully around the age of 25. Is that Would you say that's the most difficult challenge that you have? Yeah, I, th I think it's – I think that's certainly a part of it because – 
you know, you touched on the, you know, the eye test, but there's also now there's the, you know, it's obviously the physical testing, it's the mental testing, it's where they're going to be for the next three or four years of development. These are all big conversation. It's the, you know, what's the best path for the kid versus what maybe we necessarily think they need to do in order to get better. So there's a, there's a continual balance. And I think the, the world in general, how kids are in general now has changed. And I think we have to be able to adapt and also, you know, I say it all the time, we are still in a people-based business. You get good people all pulling the same way. And again, you need to have talent. There's all a, a bunch of things that go into that, but I still think we're all looking to surround ourselves with good people who really care. And I think that's a part of the scouting where, yeah, you go to a game, you might see a guy eight to 10 times a year, but the area scouts are doing the work to figure out all the different things on these kids, right from their upbringing to where, you know, all that's, you know, social media history, all these things that go into now trying to, you know, it's a really expensive investment when you draft a kid and you want to get it right, but you're also dealing, you touched on it, they're 18 year old kids. And I think if we all went back and looked at, you know, what we were like at 17, 18 years old, it's, it's a very hard thing to project and look and see what you're going to be at. I don't think it's 25 anymore. That's the other part. I think it's 23. It's earlier where the expectations on these kids can sometimes change their development as well. Well, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting, too, the game has changed so much uh, that that your your requirements change. Remember a few years ago, Fitzy, that uh, that we had um, the organization talk about what kind of characteristics you're looking for that make a San Jose shark. Are there any ways or any characteristics you can crystallize that process? If you, if you were to say what makes a San Jose shark uh, in your mind, what is it? I think you'd want competitive skill. In character, right? Obviously, character goes without saying, but competitive skill, because it's such a, it's such a competitive league. You watch these playoff games; it's a different kind of game than than game one through eighty-two. <clears throat> and the teams who can win puck battles and make plays in small areas, and that's just drive and competitiveness and will. So I think when the day when the dust settles, there's not many teams that win the Stanley Cup that didn't have will or drive or compete. And obviously, Todd. They won it uh, way back, and uh, he can obviously talk a little bit more about that. But uh, you got to be able to compete and, and will for me. What do you think, Todd? I, I agree 100. percent You know, that's you know the mandate that Mike you know has brought upon this group is that you know we want guys that compete, guys that want to, and guys that want to win. And you know, going back 25 years ago, it, it, it would have been how big are you? <laughs> You know, you got to be six, three, over six foot or whatever. I'm going to look at you. It's one of those things where the game, the way the rules are today and the way it's changed, it's amazing it, that how fast these games are and how skilled these players and you got skilled players that are, you know, finishing checks. And, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, you look at any of the Stanley Cup champions over the past, their top players are blocking shots. They're doing whatever it takes. And that's, that's what you're looking for in these players that the guys that will do whatever it takes to be, to win. And that goes down to their character, their will. And then obviously they got to be skilled on. And that's what makes, that's why the NHL is the greatest league in the, in the world for hockey. You're listening to NHL entry draft coverage on the San Jose Sharks audio network. We're making our way toward the National Hockey League draft with three important members of the Sharks organization. Scott Fitzgerald, the Sharks Director of Player Personnel, Todd Marchant, the Director of Player Development and Senior Advisor to Mike Greer, and the Director of Amateur Scouting, Chris Morehouse. 
one of the things that we're talking about, guys, is the key to winning the Stanley Cup. And isn't it true that the most important thing to winning a Stanley Cup might lie in the fact that players tend to elevate their level of play beyond what they even think their best is at those critical moments. How do you look at it, Todd? Well, that's what makes the, the best teams the best teams. I mean, look at Tampa Bay for all those years. I mean, they, you know, they obviously had a very skilled team, but they competed and they played hard and they blocked mm-hmm. shots and they finished checks and they back check and they do all those. I, you know, people will say the, the little things. There are no little things in the game of hockey. They're details. They're details that they do on a consistent basis. And that's what makes a championship team. And you got to have everybody buy in. You can't have, you know, four or five or 10 or 11 or 12. You've got to have all 20, however much guys that are going to play for you. They all have to buy into the same, the same message. And you can be either smarter than somebody, you can be stronger than somebody, or um, you can be faster than somebody. It's nice to have that combination. But if uh, uh, Scott Fitzgerald, if you were to pick one of those, I, I know obviously competitive edge is, is, is number one on your list, but beyond that, would you pick one of those things to, to say that's most important hockey IQ or, or speed or, or size? I like smart players, right? Smart players just work smart, play the game differently, probably more efficient, see the game a little differently more than guys that aren't smart. Um, obviously the character, the will and all that stuff, that's goes without saying, like we said, yeah, smart players. I like smart players with the, obviously the compete, the skill stuff. You watch these playoffs. It's a, uh, it's uh, I equate it to football. It's like fourth and one, like who's moving the, who's able to move the chains, right? It's a game of inches. There's not many guys blowing shots by guys from 30, 40 feet out. It's hitting three sets of legs, a, a shoulder, goal tendon. Yeah, the, the, com- the competitiveness is just, it's like breathing, right? They just, it's expected. And, uh, you know, to, to quote my cousin Keith Kachuk, always said, <clears throat> he'd always tell his kids two things, work hard and be a good teammate. And thirdly, take care of the trainers if you make it to the point where, you, where you're on a team where they have trainers. Take care of the trainers, be a good teammate and work hard. That's that's. The only advice I can give you. Well, that's great advice for anybody. I want to ask Chris Morehouse uh, what the most unique find he might have found or might have had during the course of his scouting career. Maybe the mo- maybe one of the more unusual stories that he might be able to share with being able to find somebody. You know, that's that's a it's a tough one because it's it's really when I you know, once we're done a draft, regardless of position I'm in, in terms of scouting, it, it, we always feel like it is a group, it's a group thing. And I think if we, you know, behind every pick, the, the things that people don't see is the amount that the area scouts that know these kids that see them, how, how hard they push. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's, I guess I can share this story a little bit is you know i i always assume that when you draft kids and they go on and they play and and you're always you're always curious about you know whether they remember you know the scouts that were involved when a kid got drafted or whether they you know i was in when i was working in columbus i was in a in the box watching a playoff game and jared bowl who people might remember was in the box and he asked me to find Paul Castron, who was a scout there at the time when they drafted, because he wanted to say hi and reach out and thank him again for, for picking him. So I think, I think when you, when you, if you would see how guys are certainly scouts in our room, when we're talking about players, there's a lot of passion there. And, you know, as much as, as much as 
you know, fans get passionate and everybody gets passionate about what goes on with the Sharks. I can guarantee you the group in our room, in the amateur room, and, and who we're trying to bring into our organization, that passion is is all the way through by everybody. And, you know, I, there's, there's certainly, it's easy to, you know, I, I always say it's not an easy job because you're cross-referencing, you're comparing, but you know, our area scouts go out and they grind and pound the pavement to, to find players they think that are worthy of, you know, or have the qualities we want in a shark. And, you know, we go in and we watch them and, and it's the work that they do that makes our job easier. So that's a, a long-winded way of saying that I think anytime you draft, you, you, you know, typically you get seven picks a year out of the world to, to try and this year we have obviously more and 12. Yeah, we have a lot, but it's also, it's, it's, uh, it's that it is, it's, it's a really unique situation where you, you do have a, a bunch of people who are all trying to do the same thing, not promote players from their own area, but try and just get it right. And I think when, if you see the dynamic of that, and then you do get a player that plays out of your, you know, you look back to the, you know, the Pavalskis or these guys that have had long careers as late round names that, you know, I remember I, I played against Vlasic, right? And when I was in Moncton and, and watching him and now seeing him and now, you know, he f- feels like he's so much older than me. I think I'm actually older than him and he's played over 1,200 games. So it's, it's or I might even be younger than him. So you just look at that type of, of dynamic and the passion that, that we all feel when we get, unfortunately, if we all did get it right, we probably wouldn't be here because we'd be, making millions, picking lottery numbers and doing anything but this. But I, I just think it's, it's really important. Everybody knows that it, it's that, that passion, that commitment. We're all, we're not going to get it right all the time, but I can assure you that the amount of work that goes into it really should feel like we should get it right because that's how much work that goes into it, but it's just not the reality. We're going to get to some of the questions from our live participants in the chat. You can use the Q&A section if you'd like to send us a question. Uh, Dino from Edmonton has a question for Todd Marchand. First thing he wanted to say to you, Todd, was, as an Edmontonian, thanks a lot for the electric hockey in the city. I'll never forget what you did to Dallas in the playoffs. I remember that well, too. Uh, his question is about the coaching staff. Um, he says that he's very excited by the coaching staff. Uh, what do you see, Todd, as your biggest challenge in in helping working with the coaching staff to develop a, a young team? Well, I mean, I think it's just being patient. You know, a lot of NHL coaches, when you, especially when you bring a guy up from the from the minor leagues to the NHL, you know, they're they're expecting this guy to be you know, ready to go and 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 light it on fire, and it just doesn't always happen that way. And you look at Look at a player like William Eklund. You know, the first couple of games he came up this year, he kind of struggled a little bit. It's a, it's a big jump, but then all of a sudden he settled in and he started to play better and he got his feet wet. So I think for as from a development standpoint to the coaching staff, it's about, again, communicating, talking to them about what we've learned about the players that makes them tick. What is it? Is this a guy that you need to talk to every day? Is this a guy that you need to leave alone? Is this a guy that you got to lean on a little bit? Is this a guy that that needs to work on his quick release shot? Whatever it is that we have noticed uh, over the time we've been working with these players, we try and pass it on to them in, in conversations. And 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 the, the lines of communications are always open, not only between us and the NHL staff, uh, but also the American League staff, you know, um, as well. So um, it's all about um, you know giving them as much information as possible, so that those players and our team can have as much success as possible. 
I like to use the analogy that um, most of these players, in fact, all of them are used to being the the best player in their league for most of their lives. It's like uh, going to to high school for four years. You work reasonably hard. You get straight A's. You get 1,600 on your boards. And then you go to Harvard and everybody got straight A's and everybody had 1,600 on their college boards. So you're not as special anymore. And uh, related to that, uh, Todd, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you feel about how some of these guys have developed this year. You know, guys like Daniel Gushin, who got an NHL goal, Thomas Bordelow, who had a good season in the AHL and uh, players like Brandon Coe and Ozzie Weisblatt. Uh, wh- where are these guys at uh, at this point in their development? Uh, you know, that first year is is tough. It, it's a big adjustment. And some, you know, some have success early and then maybe it fades off a little bit. Some don't have success early and have, you know, as, as the season go on, they do because they, they're having to play against men. I mean, a lot of these guys they come from leagues where they're, you know, they're usually the oldest one when they leave and they're playing against guys that are a year or two younger, uh, some a little bit more, but then they're coming to the American hockey league. They're playing against some guys that are 10 years older than them that have 10 years of pro experience. They're big, they're strong, they're smart, they're cagey. So it's about them learning that whole process. And a lot of times it's like, for me, it's like breaking a horse, you know, um, you know, these guys come in as wild stallions They're like, oh, I've got all the answers I know I'm going to do. And it's like, well, wait a minute. No, you don't. OK, we've got to kind of reel you in and say, if I'm going to go down the, the ice and I'm going to turn the puck over at the offensive blue line five out of 10 times. Well, guess what? Maybe I could do that in junior and it, I still got away with it in the American League. You might get away with a little bit less, but in the National Hockey League, guess what? You're going to find yourself on the bench because it's going to be in the back of your net when you turn it over to somebody like Connor McDavid or whoever. So it's getting them to understand that the game is a, is a, not different in a sense, but it's just a little bit more critical. There's areas of the game that you have to learn to manage pucks and, and be smarter with things. And, and that's a long process for these guys. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, but if you have the right attitude and you're willing to work hard and you're willing to listen, your chance, your development goes on, on a different curve than the ones that kind of refuse and want to kind of dig their heels in and say, well, this is what I did in junior. Well, that's great. Or this is what I did in college. Well, that's great. But you're not in college in junior anymore. You're in pro hockey. And this is how pro hockey is played. I want to ask Chris Morehouse, uh, all of the questions about the draft this year, everybody is, is basically saying that Connor Bedard is the next Connor McDavid, that he is a generational player. And they say that a lot about, about, about players, but uh, uh, where do he and the and the top guys really fit in as, as as being projected to step in as as so effortlessly as those guys have in the past? I I think that I think it's just unrealistic unrealistic expectations to put that on anybody. I think every and I you know that's not that's nothing about Connor McDavid. It's not or even or Connor Bedard or any of the. It's more of every year, every draft is a little bit different. And I think when you look at this draft where I feel really good about the position we're in, where we're picking that we're going to get a really good player for the San Jose Sharks. And I think when you look around and you start doing comparisons and you start, I think it's just, you know, these are young kids that it's just not a, you know, time will tell where these players rank up against the best in the league. And I think it's it's our job to get the profile of the player right and have the list right. And and I've never been a, you know, where we like comparisons because they're they're fun, right? We like, especially at the top of the draft, they always like to have two kids that are, you know, battling back and forth with each other, that rivalry type of situation where, you know, I, I think all the players 
you know, certainly in the top part of this draft have, have potential to be pretty special players. So we'll just wait and see how it goes. We get fans from all over the world that are members of the 1991 club. We've got a question here uh, from Nova Scotia, from Alyssa, who wants to know from Chris Morehouse, as you look at scouting, what goes into, like, how do you, what do you look for in a young player to draft a young defenseman? This is what she seems to be interested. Do you try to compare them to Brent Burns or Mark Edward Vlasic or Eric Carlson? Or how do you exactly you, you evaluate a young defenseman? Because that's one of the hardest positions to evaluate. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. It, Scotty and I have had lots of talks this year about, you know, getting the profile of the athlete and the player right. And I think we've talked about a lot about development paths and curves and kids mature differently. They develop differently. It, it, if we can get the profile of the player right and their strengths and weaknesses, anybody you take in the draft, they're going to have, we call them warts or call things that you need to work on. It's figuring out which things you want to work on as an organization, which things you like to develop. Obviously, you're looking at the trends in the, in the league right now in the back end. A lot of teams have have size and mobility, right? I'm not saying that's the end-all, be-all, but there's, you know, with those two characteristics, you might not have to have elite hockey sense or elite stick skills. So I think every every particular profile of a player is going to give you an idea of what they need to work on. Do they have one or two things you can hang their hat on in terms of what NHL ability and then work back from that. And I think it, it it's, you know, Todd touched on it earlier. The, the more we can incorporate amateur with development, the more, you know, in sync we are. And, and when we bring players into this organization, we have a plan to make them better. I think you can, as long as you get the talent profile right, then you can start working on the things that they don't do well enough. And so I think with any type of defenseman, it's like 50s. Ideally, in a perfect world, you'd like to have a team full of Cal McCars, Brent Burns, those type of players that can eat minutes and skate and make plays and be offensive. But every every different there's it's just not realistic in terms of there is only one Cal McCarr. There's only one Brent Burns. There's only so I think finding a profile of a player that that you want to work with and that have the skill sets in their back pocket to, to give them an opportunity to get their foot in the door. And then you can work on some of the things they don't do well enough. Uh, Jai from Ackworth, Georgia relates that to you, uh, Chris, he wants to know, is that the most rewarding part when you see a guy that maybe a lower draft or round draft pick uh, develops into a national hockey league player? Uh, is that one of the most rewarding parts for you to see them develop like that? Yeah, I, th I think it's just, you know, I'll share this little, little story that, you know, coming in, coming into San Jose this year, we had our amateur meetings in San Jose and, and we were at a, we were out as a group after getting a bite to eat and, and Joe Pavelski was coming in with Dallas the next night and he was in the same hotel and Pat Funk has been with the organization. I'm pretty sure since day one and obviously had a big part to do with drafting Pavelski out of Wisconsin and the reaction of, and they've stayed in touch and they've talked, the reaction of those two when they hugged each other and met each other and, and saw each other again after I don't know how many months, that's a really cool thing. And I think when you when you put your, you know, Fitzy said at the very beginning, it's it's he's a life, right? All of us on this call, different are, are people that have been in this business for a long, long time that, that all we know is hockey. We put our life into this game. And I think when you see players like that, and you see relationships and you see that type of just, it's a really feel good moment of, wow, like that's a really cool thing. He was drafted how many years ago? And that's a relationship they've had for the rest of their lives. 
And so I think, you know, that type of, you know, watching a kid that you've pushed for and wanted to see do well and to have them achieve it, it's not only great for the organization, but you also, you, you do feel good for the kid. You're listening to NHL Entry Draft Coverage on the San Jose Sharks Audio Network. We're talking NHL Draft with members of the San Jose Sharks scouting staff, and one of them, Scott Fitzgerald, came to this organization from the Boston Bruins. And Fitzy, you were there for 16 years. That's a traditional, original six NHL team. How do you compare what you've experienced so far in San Jose with your previous experience? The travel. I would drive, I, I'm from Boston. I would drive 20 minutes to training camp. Now it's a six and a half hour flight. The time change. Um, it's a little bit different. San Jose, uh, when I first got here, it's more of uh, like the new arena where the practice facility is. It's a, it's a smaller kind of setup than in Boston. And it's, it's more kind of a homey environment. Everybody's right on top of each other. Players come up to the office and down and everything's really close. Whereas in Boston, it was so spread out. You were kind of, you were away from the players, right? Where we could be in uh, doing meetings and Eric House could knock on the door. Hey, I need to talk to Rosemary about something. And like that, that wouldn't happen in Boston because of uh, the layout, right? It was uh, it was a segregated, more of a segregated type of an environment. So for me, that was kind of cool. You walk in and the players are just walking by, the coaches are walking by. And, you know, in Boston, again, like the layout, it, that, that never would happen. So I, I feel like it's, it's actually, it was pretty exciting, you know, I, and, and to, uh, you know, go back to what Chris was saying about Funker and them, like, it kind of made me think like the, the scouts and the, and the uh, hockey ops people are involved with these players where they're not necessarily in other teams. Right. Um, so it, it, that it's continued. So it's been really, really fun. It's again, it's a mom and pop shop, a little smaller. And uh, I kind of actually like it. Well, I've been here 32 years and I get the sense of family too, with, with scouts, players, coaches, and the fact that it is laid out that way, that, that, uh, uh, that's really, really fascinating and, and great to see and something that we're all proud of. One thing I wanted to ask you too, Fitzy, is about the uh, what happens at the draft table. And I know Chris is in charge. Maybe he can jump in on this too. But the idea of the safe pick versus the roll of the dice kind of a player. And obviously you guys don't know what's going to happen at four and I guess at 26. Um, and of course, Mike might decide to uh, to move that pick somewhere and go up or down in the draft. That could be a possibility. A lot of different things could happen at the draft table, but uh, but how stressful is, is it at the draft table, even after all the work you've done? And how do you react to some of those? And how do you decide whether you want to make that roll the dice pick or whether you want to make a safe pick? Um, Chris can chime in a little bit after this. So for me, I think all of that stress that you're talking about is there, but I don't know if it's so much there at the draft on the floor. That's why you have your end of the season meetings. You kind of work through things so much scenarios. Um, you know, you get into that safe pick over a more of a home run type of a guy that, that stuff for me, at least over my career, that's worked out in those final meetings, May, June, all the stuff that Chris and, and his group and Mike and everybody are doing currently for me, I think, I think when you land and you have your few meetings before the draft, I think you're pretty much setting your convictions. This is what it's going to be. And, and this is how we're going to go about it. And let's hope the stuff we've talked about and went through 
you know, over, uh, as Chris would say, when these kids are 22, 23, let's hope, uh, let's hope it works out. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I, I think it's honestly the most stressful stuff is leading up to it. I, I, I think when you, when you do these meetings and, and again, we talk for hours and hours and hours and we go through every player and we go through every possible scenario. And then when we get to the draft, it's, you know, it's like we say all our, all the time as a group. I mean, that's, those are the two days and out of 365 where, where the amateur scouts can really make an impact on the organization. And I think it's obviously it's more than just two days, but I'm saying for those two days, it's kind of our Super Bowl, our Stanley Cup final, our, you know, World Series. It's it's when we put all the work that we've done, because, again, a lot of this work has been we say it's year to year, but we're watching these kids at 16 as underagers. We're watching them as late birthdays at 17. We are continually adding and building these these profiles of these kids and trying to know them. And so then once we get to the actual draft table, I like to think the process we use here is pretty thorough. And so by the time we get to, you know, draft day, we're ready. There, there is no, you know, there is, there might be nerves and and anxious because you want to get the players you're really excited to get. But I think you're also just excited to try and make an impact and try and, you know, do some really good things for the organization. So I think it, it, it is crazy. I think draft floors can get, you know, at least my experience the first couple of times around, I'm amazed at how many phone calls there was that didn't materialize or how many, I think there's a lot of ebbs and flows. Every draft has a different type of, you know, sequence, depending on which player goes where it might set off a trickle down effect where everybody starts to slide in the draft. Um, you know, what happened actually Todd might've been there in Anaheim with Fowler, right? You know, one, one guy doesn't go and then all of a sudden it starts to trickle down. So there's, there's so many things that can get you, you know, either off, you know, just a little bit out of focus or whatever it is. And that's why the way we do it and the way we go into the draft is we have a really thorough, extensive process in place. So then when we give Mike that list on this year, it's Wednesday on draft day, day one, he's ready to go. He knows where we're at. We've collectively done it and we can just make sure we execute the plan we have in place. One change to the Sharks organization, aside from some of you know, all the personnel moves, is that uh, the Sharks have taken a different uh, philosophy, Fitzy, in goaltending. And, you know, you've made Yevgeny Nabokov the director of goaltending. Thomas Spears done a great job. Uh, there's been a little bit more of a focus on scouting and going after goaltenders. Uh, a free agent signee, Georgi Romanov, is coming to the organization next year. Um, give us just your thoughts uh, on goaltending and, and where that's developing. Well, I think goaltending, uh, we've had some conversations on this of late, Chris, right? Goaltending's a, it's a, it's a bit of a specialty. Um, all, all the teams have goalie development guys, goalie coaches, uh, goalies. A lot of teams have goalie scouts that would, would go on the road and, and watch guys. Uh, Nabby does a lot of video and, and gives his, his thoughts on, on guys that Chris and his group present to him. Uh, the same with the free agents in Europe and stuff. So, it's more of a, it's more of a goalie to goalie kind of a combat we'll call it, and and Mike and 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 the guys will will take, you know, for the most part their lead on on their thoughts. You know, um, it's it's a hot button su- subject with every team, you know, because it's such an important position. Um, yeah, I, I think for as long as I've been in the business, we've had goalie guys, and the goalie guys handle the goalie decisions. 
It's really interesting because, Chris, you know, it's not often that a goaltender goes in the first round. You can think of a couple of guys that have done that. Obviously, um, you know, the Dallas goaltender, uh, Vasilyevsky in Tampa, um, they their first round picks. The Sharks have never taken a, a goaltender in the first round ever, but they've they've drafted some real gems. Nabby, 219th overall, uh, Mika Kiprasov in, in a later round. Um, is that probably one of the hardest positions to, to be able to draft? And what do you, what do you think you have to see in a goalie to have them go a lot higher? You know, I, I think it's hard just from the standpoint, because there's only one of them, right? You're, you're drafting him. Obviously there's more than one goalie on a team, but it becomes difficult where there's, where there's really limited spots around the league, right. In terms of drafting a goalie. And I think, I think you can obviously look and say, you know, Bob was a free agent thing, right? Yeah, you have Ottinger, you have Vasilevsky, you know, Jack Campbell was on Dallas and he went to Edmonton. He was a first round pick. There's there's lots of warning signs in terms of, of being a first round pick, but I think there's also lots of warning signs with taking a player in the first round too. And I think you, you figure out the, the balance of where you feel comfortable, where they're going to develop, where you know, the mental side of it, all those different things we do for, for each player, it becomes amplified when you're dealing with a position that, you know, really it's, you know, you can feel alone in that position as a goalie. And everybody notices when a goalie isn't sharp or a goalie isn't on, but they don't, maybe they don't realize that it was the breakdown by the D and then the breakdown by the forward. So I think it's, I think there's, there's a longer, seems to be a little bit longer of a path for goalies. And I think it's it's when you are weighing that into where you put them on your list and where your comfort level is, you know, it, it becomes you have, in my opinion, you need to be really sure of what you're getting in any kid, in any player to try and take them early in the draft. And I think with goalies, sometimes it is hard to project what they're going to be like because their development, at least from the outside, not looking into actually doing any development, Todd would probably be able to speak better on that is. It just seems like it takes them a little bit longer. And that that's where, you know, it, it's a, it's, it's weighing the risk versus reward and, and looking at your list and what's around and, and knowing and making smart educate educated decisions on when's the right time to take goalies. Because a lot of times too, you look through previous, you know, drafts, there are good goalies that get taken late. And, and I think it's, 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 because sometimes they get forgotten or maybe they don't start in their draft year. Maybe they're behind, they're on a good team and they haven't played. So you got to let that, you know, it's a little bit more guessing if a kid only played 10 games as a 17 year old, where a lot of players that are in their draft year play a lot more too, in some situations. So, you know, basically along with what Fitzy say, it's, it's a really complex, it's a hard, you know, position, but it's, it's, it's no different than anything else is we're going to put the same amount of work in we do and trying to figure out goalies a draft as we were forwards or D or whatever the case may be. By the way, I thought I would ask you, Chris, because of the international situation, how difficult has it been to actually get scouts to Russia and get reports? So how, how, how has that changed in terms of what you guys have to do? Um, you know, I, I, I think different teams have done it different ways. I mean, we've, we have European scouts. We have a Russian scout. Uh, most of the stuff we've done this year has been on video. Um, I think there's been lots of video access on these kids. And again, it's, you know, it's just weighing the risk of, you know, going over there, for example, it's not, you know, it's not something that's easy to do right now. 
So I think it doesn't mean we've completely forgotten about Russian players. I think we're dialed in on, on all the players over there that are draft eligible. We've, we've watched them a ton in terms of whether it's been video or, or getting looks at them. And then when they do the ones that are able to come to the draft, we'll meet with them and talk with them. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a really tough situation and it's, it's, it's a, it's a delicate one, but, you know, we, we, it's our job. We still have to, you know, know those Russian players. We still have to have them, you know, talk about them and discuss them. And, and we've certainly done, I feel like we've done a really good job given the, you know, the global climate to make sure we, we know those Russian kids. Now, obviously the, the one Russian name that's come up, Matvey Michkov is one of the top prospects in the draft. And obviously his situation is a little bit different than some because he's under contract, but, uh, uh, Todd Marshawn, it's not going to bother you if it's going to take a little while for a guy to get here, is it? You just kind of have to keep in touch with him. But once he does get here, obviously you've got a, a plan for his development. Yeah, I mean, every player, no two players' development curve is the same. You know, we're talking about goaltenders. Goaltenders take a little bit longer. Sometimes it's defensemen, sometimes it's forward. It just, it all depends on that player. And you know, and it, it doesn't matter where they're drafted. If they're a first round pick or a seventh round pick. I mean, our boss was a ninth round pick. He played a thousand games. I think he did okay. You know, um, it, it just, it just depends on, on the player and, you know, where that, that process is going to take it and you can't rush it. You know, you have to take time with it. It's all about when they're ready. You know, it's not, again, it's not saying, okay, well, he was drafted in the first round, so he'll be ready in two years. It doesn't work like that. It, it may be six months. It may be three years. It just depends on where their game goes and how do they get bigger and stronger? Do they get faster? Do, uh, do Are they doing the necessary things that are going to help them get be successful? Are they stubborn? I talked about that before, you know, um, and, and, and a lot of times it just, it just takes it. it you cannot rush it. And I think that that's the one thing with Mike, you know, he's been on board with, with, with regards to development is that we're not going to rush anybody. We're going to take our time and we're going to see what happens. And it doesn't matter where they're drafted in the world. You know um, we are going to get out to, if we can't get out to see him, then we're going to talk to him on a, on a, on a weekly basis just to see how they're doing. And, you know, my staff, my guys, uh, Luca and Tommy do like to do a lot of video work with even the guys in North America, uh, we had a player, uh, Jake Furlong, they just lost in Halifax and he loved doing video work with Luca. So they would do video work every couple of weeks and go over his shifts and just, and, and with today with technology, that is just unbelievable that we can, we can see games all over the world and not have to go there, uh, to do it. So, um, that's, that's the one thing that is nice about where we're at with, uh, with the video. You're listening to NHL Entry Draft Coverage on the San Jose Sharks Audio Network. We've had a great session talking to members of the Sharks hockey staff today, getting ready for the NHL draft and finding out exactly what the Sharks are doing to bring San Jose back to prominence. I did want to ask one question about the Sharks general manager, Fitzy. You've known Mike Greer a long time. and One thing that he has as part of his reputation is that he's a very collaborative leader. Have you experienced that in your year of working with him? Yeah, you know what? That's exactly what he is. He, he he's uh, within the group. Everybody has a say. Um, he takes the information in. He processes that at his own rate, and then he'll make decisions. But he, the one thing, like you said, collaborative. He's he listens. I've, Chris will elaborate. He's called area scouts 
that doesn't happen a lot with GMs. You know, he'll call and say, hey, I was reading your report. What you think of this guy? Uh, I'm hearing some stuff in his background, blah, blah, blah. Like he, everybody's involved um, on his on his staff, you know, and, and, and again, I've done this a long time. You don't always get that. And it doesn't make the GMs who don't do that any worse. Mike just has a way of making everybody feel part of it because they are part of it. It doesn't work without everybody. Chris, would you say that's true in terms of what you're doing each and every day? Yeah, I think it's the, you know, it's really nice to feel like the job, the job you guys are that we're trying to do on the amateur side, he's so involved with it. And I think, you know, Fitzy brought it up. He'll know, he'll remember things that, that guys write in reports from months before and he'll bring it up out of nowhere. And I think he's, he's, the collaborative part, he, he retains everything. I mean, you can talk about a player and he'll remember it, um, you know, vividly. And, and that might be months ago. When you talk about, we might talk about a thousand players a year and he'll remember, you know, the very small detail of a, the, the first guy you talked to out of that group of a thousand nine months later. So I think, I think again, we've, you know, I've, I've said it to a lot of, a lot of people that have asked me, it, it's, it, it flows through your organization. As soon as you're, you're the leader on top is, is has that type of communication and make everybody feel a part of things and bring you in. It creates a better working environment for, for me and Todd with development and scouting. And it creates a great environment for me and Fitzy and it creates a great environment for Fitzy and scouts in Europe or Todd and, you know, scouts in Europe or scouts in North America. And I think the more we can do this together and have, we all come from very, very different backgrounds. We all come from different organizations, at least the three of us on this call. And I don't think there's any right or wrong way of doing it as long as you do it together and you have a plan. And, and I, I think the plan we have in place and the way that we're all a part of that plan, I think you give people a little bit more, they tend to do better work and you make them feel a part of it. They tend to be more invested and they tend to want to do a little bit of a better job. And I think there's going to be zero issue with that in this organization because everybody that's a part of the Sharks organization should feel a part of something that I think is going to be pretty special. And also finally, Todd, uh, you know, players that are at the American Hockey League or ECHL hockey level, I hear all of the talk about the newest draft picks and so forth. But one of the most important things is that they need to know that uh, they're not forgotten about. And there's a lot of individual attention played up and placed upon them. Uh, do you think that that's uh, that's one of the high priorities of the Sharks organization, the way it's all set up now? Absolutely. I mean, like I said earlier in my comment, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're a sixth, seventh round pick, like you're going to get treated just the same. We're going to get out and see you just as much as we do a first round pick. We're going to communicate with you just like we would anybody else, because we don't know what you're going to be. We don't know what kind of a, a role you could play with this team. You know, and my former team that I play uh, worked for, you know, we had a lot of success with our later round picks, believe it or not. A lot of guys that went on to have really long, good, successful careers. So you just never know. And, and again, I was a late pick, so I'm a little partial to that part, but um, we just want everyone to feel just like Morsey said, our staff off the ice is like a family and we want the, the players to feel the same way. And if we all feel that way, then our chance of success go up greatly. Well, we feel the same way about all of you and certainly about everybody that's tuned in today to our 1991 club town hall meeting. You're a part of our family too. We appreciate the questions that you asked and the fact that you're tuned in today. And we're really excited about the upcoming National Hockey League draft and, of course, development camp and then the upcoming National Hockey League season. On behalf of, of all of us participating in the call today, I'd like to just say thank you for being with us. 
So long until next time. You've been listening to coverage of the NHL Entry Draft, a look at the future of Sharks hockey. This has been a presentation of the San Jose Sharks Audio Network.